I want to direct your attention to Matthew chapter 16 and that familiar passage. Jesus and all the disciples have been down there in the Galilee. They've run on the northern shore. Multitudes of people, thousands of people have been flocking to hear him and to feel his touch. Uh, he fed the multitudes. He, he preached the world's greatest sermons down there on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And those disciples had been expending themselves physically and emotionally and spiritually. And he took them away from the Galilean crowds in Matthew 16 and marched them 25 miles north, 20 miles north at least, from the Galilee, Sea of Galilee up to the headwaters of the Jordan at Caesarea Philippi and got them around a fire. And here's what we hear beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? You know, several years ago in the interim, I preached on this particular verse. Who do people say that I am? This is the question of public consensus. And you know what's the, what's the matter in American culture today? One of the things is most people never get out of verse 13. Who do men say that I am? Who do the people say that I am, Jesus asked? Because what men think and what women think and what people say has become more important than what God says in our world today. And that's why you pick up the Sunday newspaper today. You know what you're going to find in it? You're going to find an opinion section. Because what men say is more important than what God says. Well, I've always wondered why there's not a conviction section in the, in the newspapers. But there's not. And so Jesus asked them, who do the people say that I am? And look in the next verse. Uh, they've been down there. They've done their polling data. They've been listening to the crowds. And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. In other words, you know, remember what happened to John the Baptist? He just lost his head. Literally, had it chopped off. And one of them said, well, my polling data says I've been listening to them. They think, you're the, they think the spirit of John the Baptist has come back and is in you. Another says, no, uh, what I'm hearing is that they think you're Elijah. He was the man of prayer. By the time they had gotten here, they'd seen Jesus do so much by prayer. Uh, another said, no, that's not what I'm hearing. They're saying you're Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Why, they would see him weep at the tomb of Lazarus. They'd see him weep on Palm Sunday Road. And another spoke up and said, no, what I'm hearing is that they're saying you're just another one of the prophets. You know, things haven't changed much. That's what you ask our Islamic friends who he is today. That's what they'll tell you. Only he just, they'll say he's just not as great as who they say is the last one, Muhammad. And then Jesus, in verse 15, says, But what I really want to know is this. Who do you say that I am? And God bless Simon Peter. We rag on him. We call him boisterous and prideful and all those. But here he's inspired of the Holy Spirit. And he makes a great confession. Jesus asked, who do you say? And it's emphatic. He puts it up at the front. You, what about you? He asked the disciples. And he asked you today and me. Who, you, you and nobody else, you. Who do you say that I am? That's the way he asked the question. And Peter answered, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he made the great confession. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father 
who is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Petros. means a little pebble. And upon this Petra, this rock, a neuter noun, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't believe he was saying he was going to build his church on Peter because he uses a different word. On that confession that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he continues to build his church today. Every time someone makes that confession, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And another stone is added in the building of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to zero in on five words today in this passage. And it's down in verse 18 where Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, we know what he said there. But you know what I really wish we knew? Was not, not just what he said, but how he said it. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, wouldn't it be something if we had a video of that scene and we could hear him? Maybe he said, I don't know, I, I always wonder where he put the inflection in that statement. Maybe he said, I will build my church. Maybe he said, I will build my church. Maybe he said, I will build my church. Maybe that was what he was emphasizing. Maybe he said, I will build my church. It's not just what he said, but how he must have said it. I find myself in my own devotional time over and over and over when I come to those red letter words of Jesus, not just seeing what he said, but but meditating and wondering how he said it. So let's think about that for a moment, because perhaps he put the inflection on that first word, that perpendicular pronoun, I, because he wanted us to know that we are a privileged church. We're a privileged church. Maybe he said it like this, I will build my church. He's chosen us. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, from death unto life. He loved us before we ever loved him. What a privilege that Christ has drawn us by spirit to himself. Maybe he said, I will build my church. Listen, did you know this? Plans don't build churches. Programs don't build churches. Promotion doesn't build churches. Pastors don't build churches. People don't build churches. All those things are important in church growth, but none of those things build the true church. You know why? Because Jesus said, I'm the one that's going to build the church. I will build my church. Only Christ builds the true church. If you can explain everything that happens in a church, in your church, for example, or my church, if you can explain everything that happens by plans and by your programs and by your promotions 
and by the dynamic of your pastor or by your people who are penetrating the culture that is all around you, if you can explain everything that's happening in your church in those terms, then what's happening may be more superficial than it is supernatural. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. Now think about that. We're a, we're a privileged church. We're a part of something that's supernatural. We're a part of something that you can't always explain. Because he is about the business from that day until this of building his own church. He said, I will build my church. We're a privileged church. But maybe that's not where he inflected the statement. Maybe he said it like this, I will build my church. Because he wanted to remind all of us today that we're not just a privileged church, we are a permanent church. I will build my church. The verb is not past tense. Uh, the verb is not present tense. It's future I will build my church. I will continue to build my church generation after generation after generation, conversion after conversion after conversion throughout the centuries till the darkness uh, meets the dawning and the dawning till noonday light and Christ's great kingdom comes to earth. I will keep building my church. It is permanent. The church's hope is not in the past. And let me tell you something. I'm a, I'm a student of church history. I love church history. And we learn so much from the, the generation, the centuries of church history. But the hope of the church is not in the past. The hope of the church is not in the present even. The hope of the church is still before us. It has a future. It will always be here. It is permanent because he said, I will build my church. You can never stamp out the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, ever. Rome thought they could. In the first couple of three centuries of the church, they thought they could stamp it out. And so they took Polycarp, the great pastor of the church at Smyrna and burned him at the stake. They took Ignatius, the pastor of the great missionary church at Antioch, and threw him to his martyr's death among the wild animals. Uh, Perpetual over in Carthage, that young mother they, in Rome. I've been in Rome. I've stood on that cardo where, 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 where the Caesar would take Christians and dip them in tar while they were still alive and hang them on hooks on those poles leading from his palace down that cardo to the Colosseum and set them on fire so he could have a lighted path just to walk to the Colosseum. Hundreds of thousands of them met their martyr's death. Rome thought they could stamp out the church, but it was the preaching of the gospel that defeated the Roman Empire, and the church is still here, and that empire's long fell. In my generation, communism thought they could stamp out the church. When I was in elementary school at D. McRae, and some of you are my age, but people today can't believe we did this, but it's true. When I was in elementary school back in the 50s at D. McRae Elementary in East Fort Worth, we had these civil defense drills because we lived in fear of communism. They were going to send an atomic bomb or a nuclear bomb to us. And you know what they would teach us to do? Get down under our desks in the classroom 
in civil defense. Now, think about that. That was the flimsiest little desk I've ever seen. And if atomic bomb hit East Fort Worth, you think that's going to help me being under that desk? But you did it, and I did it, if you're my age, because that's the world we lived in when communism thought they were going to stamp out the church in Russia and in China and Romania, all through Eastern Europe, North Korea. And today, communism is a failed system. Susie and I have been in Russia. We've seen the church alive and well. We've been in China, met with those underground people in the church at China. Been in Romania. I've preached all all through Romania and seen the church alive and well. Communism thought they were going to stamp out the church, but they didn't. Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church. You, friend, are a part of something that's permanent. You don't have to be wringing your hands about all the fact that the church might lose its tax-exempt status. I'm going to tell you something. Those believers in, in Rome weren't worried about that. They were worried about losing their heads. Church is permanent. Today, radical Islam thinks it's going to stamp out the church. They tried it in Syria. They burned every Christian church and village in Syria. I've been in, Susie and I both have been in those refugee camps on the Jordanian-Syrian border. Saw one that had 180,000 Syrian Christians in that refugee camp. And you go from one hovel to another to another, one tent to another to another, and it's just women and children. Their husbands are in some shallow grave back in their burned-out Christian village in Syria. But the church is still alive. And it was a permanent church. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. The church has a future. We have a future. We're always going to be here, as I said, until that song says, till the darkness turns to the dawning and dawning the noonday bright and Christ's great kingdom comes to earth the kingdom of love and life. And until then, the church is going to be alive. It's going to be well. It's a permanent church. But maybe he didn't inflect that. Maybe he put his inflection here. Maybe he said it like this. I will build my church. Because he wanted to remind us that the church was not just privileged and permanent, but we're a progressive church. I will build my church. By progressive, I mean we're still being built progressively, stone by stone, brick by brick in the building. Simon Peter said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 14. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house acceptable unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're a living stone. He's still building his church. He's taking people like you and me, and and, and he calls them stones in the building. He's placing us here and here and here and here. He compares the church to a building. And each one of these stones gives strength to that building. It supports weight. You might be up in front. You may be high. You may be down low. You, you may be around in the back. doesn't matter because each of us has a place in the building of the church of Jesus Christ. 
No wonder we sing that old hymn, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is built for your faith in his excellent word. We're a privileged church. Plans and programs don't build the church, Jesus does. We're a permanent church. We're always going to be here. We're a progressive church. He's still building his church Every time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it's another stone in the building. And one of these days, all over this world, one of these days, that final stone is going to be put in place. And Christ is going to come. And the building of of Christ and the church is going to become the bride of Christ. And he's going to present us faultless before his Father's throne with exceeding great joy. I'll tell you where I really think he put the inflection. I think it was in the fourth word. I think he said it like this. I will build my church. My church. Because he wanted us to know that we are a purchased church. We're a purchased church. He said, I will build my church. It's mine. I cringe, to be honest with you, a little bit. Every time I hear somebody talk about my church, you know, I, it's not my church. It's his church. I belong to it. I'm a part of it. But we are, we are, how does something become yours? Think about it. How does something become yours? He said, I'll build my church. How did it become his? How does something become yours? You see a car? You need a car. You want that car? And so you go down to that car dealer and you make a deal for that car and you get that car and you get a loan from the bank for that car. That car's still not yours. I'm going to tell you something. You miss a couple of those payments, you find out whether it's yours or not. (laughs) That car belongs to the bank until that final payment comes and you pay it off and it's paid in full. And then what happens? That car, then you can say, this is my car. How does something become yours when you purchase it in full? All of that is behind this little word, this little possessive pronoun, my. I will build my church. We are a purchased church. He purchased this church with his own blood on the cross of Calvary. When he died, he he shouted something. He didn't go to the cross and make a little down payment for your sin so that you could earn and work your way and pay it off the rest of the way. When he shouted on the cross to tell us die, it is finished. That word means paid in full. He paid our sin debt in full. He made a way for every one of us out of no way. And in doing that, he purchased this church, you and me, for himself. And it belongs to him. We are part of something purchased. He said, I will build my church. Revelation 5, 9. It says, and they sang a new song. You are worthy, Lord, to open the seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God. Men and women from every tongue and tribe and language and nation and people. One of my favorite passages is in Acts 20 when Paul leaves those Ephesian believers where he's planted his life and built that church and knows he'll never see them again. 
And they go down to the seaside when he's about to get on the ship to sail away, and they all weep together. And his words to them, those last words that were recorded in Acts 20, verse 28, he said, guard yourself and all the flock of God, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He bought with his own blood. He purchased it. It's his church. And you know where he purchased that church? From every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every language and every people. Black, brown, yellow, red, white, all of us. Who were we in years gone by to ever tell anyone who came in sincerity and in faith to the church of Jesus Christ that they weren't welcome in our church? That they weren't welcome in the church which he bought with his own blood from every tribe and tongue and nation and people. And most every church I know has a blemish in everyone I pastor in the past at this point. I preached at First Baptist Dallas last month. And I walked through their children's building between services. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in that church. I saw little black boys and Asian girls. I saw little Hispanic boys and little Anglo girls. And, and, and I thought to myself, we're raising a generation in his church from every tongue, just like he said, and tribe and nation and people where anybody and everybody is welcome because it's not my church. It's his church purchased with his blood from every tribe, tongue, nation. Friend, I want to repeat this again. The most important organization in this city is this local New Testament church. Not this building, but this church. And finally, maybe he put it on the last word. Maybe he said this, I will build my church. Well, they had never heard that word. I will build my church. Because he wanted us to know that we're a peculiar people. You know, I look around here, it is a peculiar people, Pastor, that you've got around here. Uh, because in every church we are, that's what we are. You know why? That's what Peter said. He said in 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, listen to this, a people belonging to God. That's who you are. The ekklesia, it's a compound word in Greek from ek, that strong preposition that means out of, and a verb kaleo that means to call out, to call. You're the called out ones. I will build my church out of people I call out from the world. I'm calling them out. I'm putting them in this building that will one day be my, that, that is my body, that will one day be my bride. And I'm call, still calling out the church. This building is not the church. It's not the church. You're the church. Tomorrow, wherever you go, the called out ones, that's who he's building. He's building this peculiar people, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, 
that belongs to him. And he's calling us out unto himself. And for 2,000 years, generation after generation, generation after generation, he's been doing that. And one of these days, that final stone is going to be put in the building. And he will have built his church. And the heavens will split and Christ will come again to receive us unto himself. Every time I read this passage, I will build my church. And know that there's going to be a culmination when the last person, the last living stone is placed in that building. And we're going to go like that passage we read in a moment ago in Revelation 5 when we're all gathered around the throne of God. What a scene that'll be. All the redeemed of all the ages gathered together around the throne of God. I, I try to put myself in that scene. Every tongue, tribe, nation, people praising and worshiping the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I look. And here come some folks walking by. The patriarchs of the Old Testament. There's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. I've even written a book about leadership principles in their lives. And, 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 and I've studied about them. I've preached about them. And here they come walking by right there in front of me in heaven. But I'm not one of them. And then I look, and here come the sweet psalmist of Israel. There's David, Aesop, the sons of Korah. I've read so many. I've, memor I've read those psalms every day almost in my life. I've memorized so many of them. They've, I've stood on them in times of, oh, and I needed comfort. And here come those sweet psalmists of Israel. They come walking by, and, and then it dawns on me, I, I, I'm not one of them. And then I look over here, here's a bunch of guys kind of walking like this, the prophets of the Old Testament. For hundreds of years before Christ, they pointed to him. Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel and Hosea and Micah and all the minor prophets. And they come walking by. But I'm not one of them. And then I look, and here come the glorious apostles of the New Testament. Peter. Andrew, Andrew, there's Andrew, my favorite one. Peter wouldn't be there if he hadn't gone and gotten him. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Nathaniel, who was without God. There's Bartholomew, there's Thomas. There's, they all come marching by. But, but I'm not one of them. And then I see a multitude of people coming over here. The martyrs of the church. Savannarola put to death there, burned at the stake in Florence. And, and there's Tyndale and Huss and, 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 and all the martyrs of the church. Till this day, more martyrs of the church were killed last year than in any time in church history. And all those people who gave their lives, the martyrs, they come marching by. But I'm not one of them. And then finally, I look. And I behold a multitude of people, which this book says no man can number. Who are these? These are they whose robes have been washed white in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church. And I belong to that glorious throng of the redeemed. Look and live. Wash and be clean. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains because Jesus said, I will build my church. And he's still calling it out today. And maybe there's somebody here today who needs to make that great confession.
You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so it brings us to the final question of verse 15. Who do you say that I am? That's, not, that's the question of eternity, friend, for you. Who do you say that he is? Would you join Simon Peter today? Would you let Christ make you a living stone and put you in the building of Christ to give you a place in heaven? By answering that question like Peter, you, Lord, I'm convinced, are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he continues to build his church.